The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on this show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician. The team at Invax is dedicated to delivering new personalized immunotherapy approaches to improve outcomes for people living with glioblastoma and other solid tumors. Leveraging decades of validated research and technologies, Invax's unique platform is designed to capture a tumor's full antigen signature and use it to stimulate a patient's immune system against remaining tumor cells. Invax is currently recruiting for a randomized phase 2b clinical trial of IGV-001 in newly diagnosed glioblastoma patients. Learn more about this Phase 2b trial at imvax.com or clinicaltrials.gov. Imvax, advancing a new approach to personalized cancer immunotherapy. Welcome to Game on Glio a podcast that tells the stories of brain cancer warriors, clinicians, medical experts, and those in the grief and loss community. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. This season, you will hear unique brain cancer and grief and loss stories, as well as my own journey through grief and loss. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at Game on Glio or Instagram and YouTube at Game on Glio Podcast. You can also visit and subscribe to our website at thegameongliopodcast.com for our blog, insights, clinical trials, and guest snapshots. Season 3 of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT MedTech and Gametile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. And by Invax, personalized whole tumor-derived immunotherapies. Learn more at invax.com. Novel technology, innovative clinical trials, inspired care. That's what you get with UB Neurosurgery. UB Neurosurgery, also known as UBNS, is ranked as one of the top-rated and busiest neurocath labs in the country. Our doctors are trained at top centers across the nation and work in a collaborative environment making your treatment and care our top priority. With over 50 human clinical trials, UBNS has its finger on the pulse of diagnosing and treating complex disorders of the brain and spine. Are you looking for outpatient services? UBNS has it. Atlas, UBNS's outpatient neurosurgical center, offers specialty services such as gamma knife, minimally invasive treatments, back pain prevention, as well as treating disorders of the brain and spine. UBNS, advancing the practice of neurosurgery through novel technology, innovative clinical trials, and inspired care. Learn more at ubns.com. We recently recognized Mental Health Awareness Day. But what does that actually mean? There was a time when mental health was viewed as a disabling diagnosis, like pervasive developmental disorders, tic disorders, alcohol and drug disorders, cognitive personality and mental health disorders, like schizophrenia, bipolar, depression. Medication and psychotherapy were the answers of the day. But now, as more begin to understand what mental health actually includes, many recognize that support, understanding, connection, inclusion, counseling, and communication are key to healing and health. Emotional health is part of mental health. Anxiety, panic, PTSD, grief and loss. All of these are part of our mental health and balance. We were never promised that life would be a cakewalk, that it would just give us everything that we want. With each obstacle, each challenge we face, we grow. But how do we do that without the right tools, without the right support? That's what mental health is. That's the balance we need to strike so that we can be better prepared for the challenges in life and also to be able to identify and accept the joy and the goodness that also comes in life. Three years ago at the end of this week, 
My husband Mike died from brain cancer. I suffered multiple miscarriages and many other losses since his death. The last three to four years have not been easy. Without the right support and tools, I would struggle under the sheer weight of what I have faced and continue to face to this day. Emotional well-being means so much more than work-life balance. It's learning how to move forward in spite of challenges, in spite of being knocked down, being bullied, being unsure in life, loss, not knowing what the future holds, failure. It's finding our footing. It's finding hope, joy, and happiness. It's being able to find these things through the fog of whatever we are facing. After our guest interview, stay tuned as we offer some tools to help you on your emotional wellness journey in life and information if you feel the need for more professional support. Don't ever be afraid to say, I need help or I'm struggling. We'll be right back with our guest, Amber Jackson, after a brief word from one of our sponsors. Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gamma tile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the tiny gamma tiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against the tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas, gamma-tile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gamma-tile therapy is FDA-cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Gamma-tile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gamma-tile.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Game on Glio podcast. My guest today is a nurse, a mother of four to beautiful, beautiful kids, a wife, and a caregiver. Her husband, Tim, died recently from GBM, which is glioblastoma. And she joins us today. Amber Jackson, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I really am so excited to be here. So let's dive right in. Um, Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have a a huge social media following. A lot of people know of your story. But let's go back a little bit. Tell us a little bit about Tim. When did you meet him? um, And how long did you guys have together before he was diagnosed with glioblastoma and short for glioblastoma, is what we all reference as GBM. Um, So tell us a little bit more about him and how old he was when he was diagnosed. Yeah. So so my Tim, um, Tim was 43 when he was diagnosed. So we are both nurses. Tim was an ICU nurse. We met at work, actually. We both thought the other one was married. We really only knew each other by face and name a little bit. We didn't really know each other at all. We worked on different units. And someone had said to us, um, you guys should go on a date. You're the same person. And we both were like, I don't know, to date someone that we work with. But (laughs) we both just couldn't get it out of our mind. And so we ended up going out. And it was from the very beginning, like sold. So we were married just over three years. We have four kids. My older two are from my previous marriage. So we have two together. And our youngest was a month old when I got a call from Tim's work saying that he had a seizure. And then after all of the tests and all of the doctors, it was diagnosed glioblastoma. So he was 43 at the time that he was diagnosed. And how old was your youngest? He was a month old. You know, that blows me away, these kind of journeys, because I always find the timing to be ironic. And I don't use that word lightly. So my Mike was 44 when he was diagnosed, and we were six weeks away from adopting our first baby. Oh, my gosh. So Tim is 43, was 43 years old, and your baby was only a month old. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so yeah. I just I just find that the timing when these things happen, it just seems like, you know, hey, there's a lot going on, but we're going to pile on a bit more. Let's throw on one more thing. Like it's never at a convenient time. You know, I was still going through all my postpartum stuff. We were still doing middle of the night feedings and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's never convenient. God, I can't even imagine I just the hormones that a woman goes through yeah, yeah. during that. And then to say, oh, by the way, uh, your husband has got this aggressive, cureless brain cancer. And oh, you know, hopefully you can handle it, even though you've got a month old and you're breastfeeding and you've got raging hormones and... You know, it was actually really, really sweet. A lot of people, when they first found out Tim had cancer, it was like, okay, how's he doing? How's the family? And then it was, how are you? Are you eating? How's your breast milk? Like, it was very sweet that people recognized that I was still going through a lot Mm -hmm. with just having a newborn baby in my own body. And so it was very sweet that people took that into consideration. You know, that's interesting. And and we're going to, I'm going to piggyback on that. We're going to talk about that. Um, I'll circle back to it in a little bit because, um, I find that that's that very fascinating and I want to dive into that a little bit more. But when he was diagnosed, obviously we're talking in past tense because he has passed away. Yeah. How long did he have from start of diagnosis to when he passed away? How long did he have? From diagnosis to death was 16 months. 16 months. So two months longer than my husband. Yeah. Which is not long. Not long at all. When you guys were in treatment, I mean, did he have any months that were like good months? Did he, you know, like, did you guys do any clinical trials or any experimental treatments? What did treatment look like for you guys? So the first, I would say like six months actually were great. He had the initial biopsy, which proved GBM. And that neurosurgeon was not comfortable going back in and taking the rest of the tumor out or as much as she could. And so then that's where we got in touch with Barrow Neurological Institute and the Ivy Brain Tumor Center. Yeah. And Dr. Sinai there, which I know that you've interviewed him as well. And mm-hmm. I just saw him the other day. Um, he was like, I'm totally comfortable going in and trying to take out as much as I can. So that's when Tim enrolled in his first clinical trial and he was accepted into that one. And I actually just recently found out that Tim was the first one that was accepted with that drug, Pemiparib. It was it was pretty exciting that it, it worked for him. So we did that for a couple of months during his radiation. He took that chemo drug, that clinical trial. And everything was great. He had a couple of things like he couldn't see out a little bit out of the right side of his eye. Mm -hmm. And then he struggled a little bit with speech, but not a lot. A lot of people couldn't even tell. I really could only tell because I was with him every day. Mm -hmm. So that was started in March of 2021. So I know by September, the tumor had grown and he had to have another resection. So doctors and I went back in for another biopsy and then another resection. And that's when he started TMZ, the temozolomide. And he started Avastin. And I would say at that point, I don't want to say is when it, well, that really is when it started changing where I noticed a lot, he was getting more confused. It was harder for him to process this or that things. If I was like, hey, so we need to run some errands and grab some lunch. Do you want to go here or do you want to go there? Some choices. Yeah, it was really difficult for him. He wouldn't understand like, I don't know what you're asking me kind of a thing to where I just had to start making those decisions. And then January's MRI of 22 actually Mm -hmm. looked really great. And then by March, there was growth. And then May, there was even more. And then he died in June. As you're describing this, immediately I go back to, I have flashes back to Mike's timeline and some similar things. He didn't have issues with speech quite as much. He had issues with writing, especially towards the end. Like he had a good six, seven months where he was really good. As things started to get worse, his eyesight, like we had to get special glasses and then he was having trouble. He's like, can you just read this with me? Because I'm not sure if I'm reading this right. And it's definitely, I don't know if you had this feeling or the sense, but is somebody who, I mean, Tim was a nurse himself. Mm-hmm. Mike was an engineer, very handy. Extreme. Like I leaned on Mike for a lot of things. Oh, yeah. So to all of a sudden be the one that like had to help him pump gas, you know, like Mike was Mr. Fix-It. I don't know if Tim was like that, but Mike was Mr. Fix-It and kind of just took care of a lot of the things around the house. And then I was more of like the motherly caretaker kind of yeah. thing and um, making all the plans, running errands. So it was really hard to have him need to rely on and lean on me for so much. It just broke my heart because I was like, this is my big, strong husband who, you know, all of a sudden he can't do these things. And it just, I don't know if you went through that, but it just broke me. A hundred percent. So Tim, from the beginning, I'm trying to think after that first surgery, he had more difficulty reading. He still could, 
But I would say that was one of the first things to go actually was reading and writing. He had a really difficult time. I have a sticky note in my wallet where he needed me to get some things from Home Depot because he could not drive pretty much from the beginning Mm -hmm. because of that vision loss in his right eye. So I ran to Home Depot and I was, I still have that sticky note because I was so proud of him that he was able to write like three or four things on there that he needed. (laughs) Mike used to do that too. He used to like practice. He had a pad of paper where he would practice putting things together and he was so proud of himself when, and over time it did get a little bit better, but I, I, it's funny because I still have all of those things too. Like I have all of these notes that he left and and notepads of things that he would write down. And I still have all that too. Yeah. And I, um, Tim was one that he would read like random articles. Like he just was always reading. He was always doing things. So that was really hard on him because he lost the ability to read mm-hmm. to where he, I could tell he was like, well, now what do I do to occupy my time? Mm-hmm. So I would try to find different things that he could still use that like use his brain or I would read him the random articles that we would find that I found so boring, <laughs> but I knew that he loved, you know, and I would try to find him audiobooks and stuff so he could listen to. But he, Tim was a mover. He was always up doing something, just fixing random things around the house here and there. I remember he did that a lot when we were dating. Mm-hmm. He would come over and just fix like the wiggly doorknob or the crooked screen, back screen door, just stuff like that. And so... He was able to do that for a little while once he stopped working and was home, Mm -hmm. but he got to the point where he was so tired that he really couldn't anymore. And it was, it was hard on him and it was hard on me because one of the things that I fell in love with Tim from the beginning was just his mind, how smart he was and how, just how his mind worked, how creative he was. And so to see that slowly fade away. Mm -hmm. It was really hard, I think, on both of us because he could tell it was happening, but there was nothing he could do to fix it or change it or slow it down. So it was really hard to watch. So speaking of that, let's dive into that a little bit because life as a caregiver during an illness like this is not easy. I mean, it's not as hard as what the patient is walking through, but it is just as dark and just as grueling. So paint a picture of life for you during those caregiver days with him, um, you know, emotionally and spiritually. Oh gosh. You know, I'm a nurse. And so I feel like when it came to Tim and he had this diagnosis and then all of a sudden he has these medications and I've got to keep track of like how he's feeling at what time of day and when he's eating and all of that, I immediately clicked into like nurse mode. Mm -hmm. You know, I have this paper that I would work off of when I was a nurse doing my shift and everybody calls it their brain. I'm sure other nurses out there know what they're talking about. They're like, where's my brain? That is their paper that they use to write down everything. And I found that with Tim, I, for a while, like I had to write it all down on this paper. And then I was able to just mentally keep it all in my mind, but I had to regularly put myself in check and say, I am not just his nurse. I am his wife. And so that was definitely a battle for me, like a line that I had to, I had to draw and make sure that, that I was still connecting with him as his wife and not just his nurse. There is something so tender about caring for a loved one versus caring for other patients in the hospital. I love my job. I love caring for patients. But when it becomes your spouse or someone that you love so dearly, I just feel like every medication I brought to him, every time I prepped his chemo, every time I had to wake him up, there was just such a tenderness to it. Yeah. But watching him slowly slip away and me have to continue to know I need you to take these meds, you know, and him being like, I don't want to, I think I just took one. And I'm like, I know you Mm -hmm. didn't, you need to take it. It was hard. It was really hard. Did you ever watch any of the Harry Potter movies? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. And as you're describing that, what's popping into my head, because I had to go through the same thing with Mike. Yeah. And what's popping into my head is that one scene with Dumbledore and Harry Potter, where he takes him along with him to go find the artifacts. Yep. And he's got to drink that water, but it's like literally painful. And he, Harry promises him that he will force him to drink it no matter what. That's the image that pops into my head is that scene. That one's in the Half-Blood Prince. Our nerd is showing right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, I, I really am such a nerd. <laughs> so, no, same um, here. Yeah. No, but it does feel that way. And there are times that he was like, I don't want to take another med. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, but but this is what you need. It's going to help you stop from throwing up. Or I know your headache is bad, so you need to take it. And he would be like, mm-hmm. I don't want to. And I would just be like, I need you to take it. There were times with Mike where I had to, we would call it something else. So when we talked about his temozolomide, we named it Pop Rocks. 
Oh, I love that. <laughs> because pop rocks were so fun to eat and they crackled in your mouth and yeah. you, it made you feel like a kid and he used to love them. And again. yeah. And so when it was time to every month, when we hit that time of the month, it would be like, okay, we got to start, you know, this week is pop rocks week. And it was like the psychological warfare almost to kind of amp him up and get him excited. And, and he really took to it. You know, he was like, you know, if I mm-hmm. think of it and I envision it this way, it helps. but you could tell, you know, I mean, he always knew what was coming, you know, that the end of the week, he was going to feel really not good. And he was going to be really sluggish and really tired or get sick. It's a constant balance. And as the caregiver, it's hard enough when it's somebody you love to be that caregiver. Um, I recently had a guest on who had to do it for both parents. And I, I don't know h- how she did it. But to do it for your spouse, um, this person that you share such an intimate relationship with, an intimate Mm -hmm. connection with, to be going to bed next to them every night and then panicking and worrying. There was a couple of times where Mike got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and he stumbled at one point while he was in the bathroom. And I immediately jumped up and I'm like, are you okay? He's like, I just got dizzy. I lost my balance. He was just weak. And it just scared. I had to put a baby gate up at one point so that just to make sure that he wouldn't stumble down the stairs. It's a real fear. Those kind of moments. I mean, how did you, being as strongly connected to your faith as you are, how did you stay connected or have you had, I mean, since Tim has passed, I mean, have you had any stumbles with your faith? Have you had any moments that have been really hard for you? What did that look like for you? Yes and no. I've never been one to step away. I've never stepped away from it and thought I'm done or how could this be real? But I have definitely had moments where I've turned to the Lord and been like, okay, you and I need to have like a real chat right now <laughs> because I need to make sure we're on the same page is kind of how I how I think of it. It's been a journey for me for sure. Yep. I don't think I fully understood what it means to like commit my will to his until now. And I feel like that's the journey I've been on is like, what does that look like for me? And I think the question I've asked the Lord the most is what do you want from me? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like Tim's now gone. He's with you now. Mm-hmm. So what do you want from me? So when you say commit your will to him, what does that mean for you? So I feel like I and we all probably have this plan for our life that we, I want to go do this and I want to do that and I want it to look like this. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like the Lord puts things into motion, things out in orbit mm-hmm. that just are like, that's not how I'm going to have your life go. Yep. Or different things like that, you know, like I had mentioned that I was married previously and and that didn't work out. And, and then I got, and then I found Tim mm-hmm. and everything was wonderful. And Tim, I call him my meteor and he came into my dark night and lit up my sky and everything was on fire and it was beautiful. And so then I thought, okay, I've been through this terrible divorce and I found Tim. So I have my happily ever after now, and we can handle whatever life gives us because it's going to be together. And then Tim got cancer and Tim died. So again, my life is not going the way that I have planned, the way that I have wanted. To me, that means I'm turning it over to whatever comes my way, whatever trials that I am going to come across because I'm only 33. Mm -hmm. My trials are not over. I'm going to come across more in my life. I fully accept that they are for my good, that I will grow from them, that that they needed to happen. Or if there's just a shift in my life, not even just trials, but just a shift. Right. It's the way that it needs to be. So instead of fighting against, instead of saying why, why did this have to happen? Mm-hmm. Why did you do this to me? It's it's not that. It's more of like, okay, today I grow. What do you need me to learn from this? Where do you need me to go? That's interesting. I've been learning to walk through that myself, and I had a very strong faith before Mike got sick. I feel like I didn't. I wasn't as practiced as I could have been. But I also feel like that's not exactly what God envisions for everybody. He doesn't need you to sit every single day and study the Bible. He just wants you to be present with him in every moment of your life. And I did stumble a little bit after Mike passed away because I think for us, well, for me at least, losing the bait when I was, so we had three miscarriages before he got sick. And I really fought through that and just said, it's okay. It's okay. I trust God's plan. I'm not going to force my body to do something maybe it's not meant to do. We're just going to adopt. Everything will be okay. I still have faith. I was really holding on and fighting through that. So I wasn't, I think part of me didn't allow myself to grieve quite a bit. Yeah. But at the same time, I was just kind of accepting that maybe me getting pregnant wasn't our journey. So then when Mike got sick, 
And then Mike passed away and then we lost our dog and we lost the adoption. I think I just kind of hit a wall where I was like, okay, (laughs) I'm not giving up on you, but I'm really, really not thrilled right now. (laughs) Like, You know, you just like completely wiped the slate clean basically of my life. (laughs) 100%. And I think it's okay to be angry with the Lord. Some people think like, no, you can never be angry with him. I tell him all the time, like, I am angry right now. I do not like this. Yeah. Oh, no, I've sworn. <laughs> like, I'll look up and swear. <laughs> I think it's those real moments that I, it's those deep, dark moments that you have that the change happens and that you can have such sacred times. There is something freeing, isn't there, about kind of just giving things. I mean, I used to be the same way. I was a planner. I was a daydreamer. I envisioned the future. Once Mike passed away and everything started to shift, I've really gotten to a place where I do have a very strong faith and I I have definitely fought to hold on to it. But I've gotten to a place kind of like you where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to submit to whatever today is supposed to shake out to be like. I'm going to have faith that you're going to bring me to wherever I need to be. And I'm just going to walk with that and see how it feels and see where it goes. In doing that, it's really freeing. But do you ever have... Because of the journey that you've been on and the fact that you've kind of gone through love and loss a a couple of times, Mm -hmm. what does that look like for you? I mean, especially because you are 33 years old, do you want to find love again? Do you want to try to make room in your heart for that? If you do, I mean, how how do do you combat the fear? Because speaking for myself, I can only imagine that that (laughs) fear would be really relevant. (laughs) So I have a lot of thoughts about this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I figured. <laughs> no, this is like the ever mysterious question that everybody wants to know. And I feel like I have a complex situation. So here are my thoughts. Yes, I would love to find love again someday. For a while, I was like, no, I don't think so. Like, Tim is it. And Tim is still it. I believe that Tim yeah. and I will be together again after this life. That's my own belief. And I believe he's up there cheering me on every single day. I have a very complex situation. I have a special needs child. My oldest is 12. He has Down syndrome and autism. He's nonverbal. He's incontinent. So he's still in diapers. And I have no idea if or when he'll be potty trained. We hope so, but I don't know. Yeah. I have planned that um, he'll probably live with me the rest of his life. So there's that Mm -hmm. layer. I have an ex-husband who I still talk to regularly. I'm still, we're very civil, but always go back and forth to his house and my house. And so that puts a lot of, I don't want to say pressure, but it's just another complex layer of a lot of like decisions. Like if we move, we have to take into consideration them, Mm -hmm. you know, going on vacations, we have to make sure it happens on our week that we have them. And if not, then I have to figure out a schedule change. And so it's not something that can't be done for a man to come in and deal with all of that, but, but it is a lot. It's an extra layer. And then, then I also have a husband who I love dearly, who is the father to two of my kids whose picture will always be on the wall. We will always talk about him. Mm -hmm. There will always be celebrations for things with him. So I have a lot of layers. And so I'm right now in this skeptical place where I'll be honest, it's hard for me to believe that another man will want to come in. I love my life. I'm proud of the decisions I've made, but it's hard for me to believe that another man will come in and say, yes, I choose that. That's what I want. You never know. It's so true because that's exactly what Tim did. Tim came in and and said, I don't care about any of that. I I just mm-hmm. want to be with you. And so that's what I say. You never know. I'm young. I The thing is about me, I love being in love. I, I don't mm-hmm. feel like I need it. I don't feel like it gives me worth or value. I don't feel like I'm a very independent woman that I have happiness mm-hmm. without it. I really just enjoy it. I love very deeply and I love having a person and I love serving that person. So to be as young as I am, yeah, I would love to someday if I don't need someone to come in and fix me or fix my problems. I just, you know, or, or fix my grief. I just need Mm -hmm. someone to come in and and just hold it with me. Just hold my life. Accept. Yeah. Just accept it and just, just hold it. So someday I believe that the Lord and Tim is preparing me for someone and is preparing someone for me. And, and I hope to someday. That was a long way of answering your question. (laughs) No, I think that that was a beautiful way of answering the question. And I think that it's important to talk about these things because as widows or widowers, 
who have loved so deeply and so fiercely, who have had people in our lives that have enriched our lives and given so many gifts to the relationship that we've had, to know that kind of love, it makes it really hard for a lot of people to turn around and say, can I open myself up again? Yeah. And I think that the, the conversation is so important because it is finding that balance and being able to say that we don't, you know, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm very independent. I can take care of myself. I can make my own decisions. I'm very content with where things are right now. Mm-hmm. But like you, I'm very young. And so do I want to spend the rest of my life completely alone without sharing my life with somebody again, without having somebody's hand to hold or somebody's chest to lean my head on or making space and room in my heart for somebody. Absolutely. I don't want to shut that out. I've seen people do that. I've seen my own grandmother do that. Yeah. That was just the choice that they made, but it also, you lose so much of what these gifts are, this amazing life can bring into your life and can give to you and offer you. And it can just be very lonely. So I think it's really important that we talk about these things. I do think that it's finding that balance and it's creating that space. And I think that's where it gets hard because you're forever going to have love for Tim and be your part of your heart is going to be in love with him. Yeah. Your soul is attached to his. I'm the same way with Mike. And the hope is, is that, you know, we're able to find people that understand that, but we're also able to make room in our hearts for somebody new and let our hearts grow to make room so that that space can be shared. And I think that's the hard part. I think that's the challenge with wanting to, knowing that you don't want to be alone, but at the same time, you're trying to hold space for the person that you loved so fiercely. 100%. And I know I'm not the only one that feels this way about being skeptical that someone will want to come in and Mm -hmm. hold it with me. I know that you've got a lot of challenges. There's a lot in your plate when it comes to the life that you have and having a child with special needs and an ex-husband. And yes, there does seem like there is a lot, but I will say this. I have seen some truly, truly amazing love stories. (laughs) And uh, just as a hint to all of our listeners, season four is going to be pretty we have some some new things we're going to introduce into season four. (laughs) But hint hint. I think that the right people come into our lives when we need them to. And it's truly amazing. There are so many people out there. And I just don't think that you won't have somebody else come into your life that won't be able to take um, the challenges that might be there. And life is so short. I mean, I've truly come to see, because I, I do the same thing. I mean, I don't have quite as many of some of the hurdles, we'll say, because yeah. I don't even like the word challenges, but some of the hurdles that that you are facing with the possibility, but there are still a lot of hurdles. And I keep reminding myself that life is very short and there isn't any challenge big enough that it can't be overcome in the right circumstance or with the right person. Right. Especially after everything we've already faced and everything that we've already gone through. So I just feel like I even had a story on from a woman from the first season, lost her husband to GBM, very, very young. And they had just had a baby. They got pregnant during his diagnosis. Oh my goodness. And they had the baby. He passed away before she was four months old. Not only did she find love again, and he was accepting of the circumstance that she was in, but he allowed her to get pregnant with her late husband's sperm. Wow. Because he wanted her to be able to have one more, because they had had it. Yeah. I guess they did IVF. And so they had it, you know, in the bank and... So he said, I want you to be able to have That's huge. another another member. And he was accepting of that. Yeah. And so she actually had, she had a second kid and she's remarried and they have an amazing love life. So I truly, truly think that there is somebody out there and that, yeah, you're right. God and Tim are kind of working their magic right now. <laughs> I can just feel it. And like I said, I do believe that Tim has a big hand in it. And I had a friend ask me once when I was telling her the, these same concerns, she said, yeah, but think about it roles reversed. If there was a man in your situation, would you come in and accept mm-hmm. all of that? And I said, absolutely. If I if I loved him, that would mean I love his children and, and just his life. And I would want to do it all with him. And so she said, why do you think that there's a man out there that wouldn't want to do that? Same thing for you. And I just remember thinking like, no one's going to fall in love with me that much to want 
all of that. <laughs> and she was just like, okay, <laughs> you know, to where that's where I, um, I think that's my thing is like, Tim was like the, the diamond in the rough. Tim was the gem. He was the one that was willing to like battle all of it to be with me. And so now that I, like, I'll never get that chance again, but no, there's someone out there. I can feel it. I think that's the fear, right? I mean, as, as widows, that's that fear is that, okay, we've already had this. Yeah. My counselor has told me many, many times that love after a love like that, it's never going to be the exact same. Yeah. And it's never going to feel the exact same. It's going to be different. It's going to be new. But that's also the exciting part of it. And I think that if we stay curious about what life could be or what a new love could look like, that's the exciting part. It could be the exciting part of this journey. We just have to be open to it. And no matter the hurdles or what life may potentially look like, you never know who's just going to walk up and be like, this is something absolutely beautiful. And there's, I feel so connected to you that I want to be, I can tackle any, any of this other stuff. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Because that's, that's, I mean, this is the journey of life. I mean, this is what it's all about. No matter what we've gone through is that life is an experience in and of itself. And we're only here for a short time. And so we should all be open to, to have, to want that kind of powerful experience Mm -hmm. because who, who wouldn't want that? Absolutely. So, you know, as we're talking about being a caregiver and being open to the possibility of loving somebody else now that Tim is gone and these moments of growth, during all of these moments of growth and empowerment and strength, there are also moments that are really hard. Mm -hmm. You've talked about them before. You've been honest with your followers. I call them dark days which we all have, that is just the journey of being a widow or a widower, is that you'll go through life. And even if you're five years out or 10 years out, you're just going to come up against a trigger or a moment where it just hits you square in the gut. Yeah. And, and you kind of remember all over again. So when you have those moments, those, those dark days or those dark moments, how do you work through those? Honestly, I have to feel them. A lot of people try to push them away, try to distract themselves. I'm one that like, I have to sit with it and feel it. I actually just recently had one. Mm -hmm. I was running some errands and I passed by the hospital that Tim and I worked at when we met and we started dating and we got married and I was pregnant with our two babies while working there. And since neither of us have worked there since he's been diagnosed. So I haven't driven over there in a while, but I had to pass by it. And just seeing that hospital where we would ride together to work when we were even dating, he'd come by and pick me up and we'd ride to work together. And so many things, so many wonderful, wonderful memories happened in the hospital. Mm. Like you said, it was just a punch to the gut of Mm. just, I spent so many days on that road driving to that hospital. I remember I just had to come home and I remember I cried a lot and I put my youngest down for a nap. And then I just kind of had to, I don't want to say cancel my day. I really didn't have a lot going on the rest of the day, thankfully, Mm -hmm. because I do have great moments where I have busy days and I have to keep going, but I have to feel it. Mm -hmm. I have to let myself know that it's okay to feel this sad because even though I am still trying to find happiness in life, this thing happened to me. Mm -hmm. My husband did die, you know, so it is still very, very sad and it's okay for me to be sad And I talk to Tim and I let him know that I miss him and that I am sad and that I'm just, I am angry that I have to live my life without him, but I get it. Yeah. I I think I just let myself feel it and I tap into myself and I tap into Tim. Mm -hmm. I think we're supposed to, when we don't allow ourselves to have those moments, to feel those moments, to be okay with being in those moments, I think that's what makes the healing process harder. Yeah. And I don't know if you battle with this, but there's a part of me that I'm slowly finding my footing again and I'm starting to feel more curious about life and I'm starting to open up a little bit more. I still am struggling with packing all of my stuff. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But there's another part of me that just feels so guilty about that. That's like, no, I should just be in this sadness all the time because if I move, if people see that I'm, I'm moving forward, if people see that I'm starting to even be curious about life again, it means I don't love him anymore. Do you ever come up against that? I do. Yeah, I definitely do. Like I have not packed any of Tim's things. It's all still there. I think I talk to my therapist all the time about how people will perceive me if I'm too happy. Yes. Like how people will perceive me. And that is where we just have a lot of conversations that grief just looks so different for everyone. Mm -hmm. 
it's not linear. We it's all over the place, but not just that, but that it looks different for everyone. And there are a lot of times where I'm like, yeah, I look happy, but I'm also I'm right now I'm focusing on how to be happy for me and how to be happy for my kids. So if people call and they like expect things from me now, because now I'm magically happy and I'm fine, I'm over it. (laughs) Oh no, like this is taking all of my energy just to be happy for me and my kids or that they think I didn't love him. And I think I tried, I'm what I'm really trying to do is change the script into I'm happy because of how much I love him. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. I recently was in a good spot a couple of weeks ago and I was doing some DIY stuff around the house. And I, next thing you know, I'm like using a chop saw in my garage, which is something I've never done before. And I was just like feeling really good. And I remember I, I looked over in my garage and I saw Tim's tool belt hanging there. And that could have gone one of two ways. You know, you can see it and then immediately like fall into a puddle mm-hmm. because that's something he would have worn. He would have been there right there with me being the one to use the chop saw. So I didn't have to. And doing these projects, I was working on stuff in my daughter's room and doing these projects together. And I remember thinking like, oh, I just, I want him to come home from work so I can show him all the cool things that I did, that I, I did today. And I knew he wasn't going to, he wasn't coming home. But my first thought when I saw that tool belt was Tim would think I look so sexy wearing that. So I put it on and all day long, I was like, he is totally checking me out from heaven right now. That was my thought. I love that. (laughs) It was this grieving moment where I was so sad that he was not going to come home from work and I wasn't going to be able to show him all of the cool things that I did. But I grieved through connection. I instead put that tool belt on and I rocked it and I put all my tools in it and I was pulling stuff out and using it the way I needed to. And I was like, you have every right, you have every right right now, honey, to check me out. Like get a good look. I'm wearing this. <laughs> I think that I just try to let people know that I, you're allowed to be happy. And I, I truly believe that I'm as happy as I am because of how much I love him. I think that is such a strong, powerful statement to make because I do truly feel that the love that we accept and allow into our lives, especially when, because this kind of love, I mean, you have to work really hard. Relationships are not easy. You know, there's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of communication. There's a lot of intimate moments. And I don't mean physically, I mean, spiritually, emotionally, there's a a bond and a connection. And it is, you work very hard for that, but it makes you who you are. And so to have a love like that, even when they're gone, the love doesn't disappear. Yeah. What Tim gave you, what Mike gave me is such an amazing, blessed gift because we got to experience what love truly, truly looks like. And we get to carry that with us going forward. I mentioned, I, I called Tim my meteor. Like I said, he came across my sky and he lit everything up. And just as quickly, he's gone, but I will never look at life the same. Like I don't look at the world the same because he came and lit it up. He lit it on fire. And now I move forward. What you did for me in those five years that we were together completely transformed my life and it transformed me and I will never be the same. So I move forward with the love that he and I had together in a completely different way than how I moved forward after my divorce, if that makes any sense at all. No, it does just with such a different outlook on life because I I have had that love. He showed you. He showed you that it was possible. He showed you that it exists, that it's real. Yeah. How can you, in a way, not be excited about the potential in the future? Because Tim, oh my Tim already gave you like this amazing gift of knowing that this, this, this is real. Like this really does exist. It's not pretend. It's not make believe. It's really out there. And it does make me excited for, for whatever it is, just for love or opportunities. I just, I can't wait, but I can't help but feel excited about what my future brings. Given this, knowing this, especially going into the future, especially with four kids and speaking as much as you do about your daily journey, mm-hmm. how do you stay authentic to who you are and not get lost in the social media frenzy and the mass information that can just really have our heads spinning. I mean, how do you stay grounded and humble and honest? Oh gosh. Well, thank you. First of all, for saying that, that's so sweet. It's not without effort for sure. It's hard. You see influencers out there and sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Maybe I should be doing this. So I, um, I do have a larger following, but I make no money off of my Instagram and people are like, you could totally make so much money. And I'm sure that I could. 
but I feel like I have such a true and authentic following Mm -hmm. that I just want relationships with them. I just want like, dare I say friendships, but I have had made friends off of social media. Mm -hmm. It's taken a lot of prayers to the Lord. And I think what I have to offer is more than just more than just getting you a code for my favorite products, which I do have some that I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, I've gotten some codes and everything, but that's not like, it's like pennies. It's a drop in the bucket. It's, I don't make anything. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I just offer more in being true and authentic and just being like, this is my life. It's a mess. Yesterday, I think I recorded a video where I was just shoving chocolate into my face because I was so overwhelmed. And I was like, this is my life. This is momhood, you know, (laughs) to where I just feel like I'm able to reach more people and help them feel what they need to feel and validate their feelings and inspire more people by showing my messy house, by showing my grief days, by showing my kids throwing fits, than pretending like my life is perfect. If that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. And I think it's a really strong point because especially with social media and the number of subscribers or followers or what everybody's doing and this need to compete and climb over other people and draw more attention and be out there more and sell, sell, sell. And for me, when I really thought about like, how do I want this to go and my strengths, I just felt it was a different path. It's so valid. And it's everybody has their own journey they need to take. I think it's just a matter of finding a way to do it where you don't get lost in the competition of it. Yeah. And staying true to who you are in spite of everything that's out there. And it isn't easy to do. It is really, really hard to do. And I think that's where, I don't know if you do this, but I do daily check-ins with myself to make sure that I'm staying grounded in who I am and not getting lost in the world of um, everything that's going on, uh, whether work or anything else. Oh, 100%. And that I think goes back to my daily check-ins with myself and with the Lord. And when it comes, when I say like, okay, like, what do you, what do you want from me? What do I need to do? And just submitting my will to his, just making sure that I'm not getting caught up in all of that because I just Mm -hmm. think that's where I'm supposed to be. What do you think Tim would want for your life going forward? I mean, to say to be happy sounds so cliche. I have felt him so often say to me, don't hold back in your life because you're grieving me. Mm. I think he wants me to just live. Like he and I were ones that would like dance in the kitchen and pull pranks on each other and all of that. And so I think, I think he's just like, don't be so busy grieving me that you forget to live. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a couple of podcasts and I've done a couple of speaking presentations at different places. And and every time I can feel him being like, that's my girl. That's my woman. (laughs) Yes, honey. You know, just just getting out there and like being this strong, strong woman. You know, for anybody who's listening, especially if you're a widow or widower, somebody who is grieving, there is hope. There is so much hope in the strength that Amber and I talk about and, and the stories that we bring. I think that that sentiment, you know, that Tim wouldn't want you to continue to live life and and experience life because you're grieving him. I think that's powerful. I think there's just a lot of weight behind that. So let's get to some rapid fire questions. I'm going to ask you a quick question. And then just first thing that comes to your mind. Yikes. Okay, let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) What does being authentic mean to you? I think it means showing your true self, even if it's messy and if it's gross and if it's not the popular thing or what everyone else wants, but just doing what you want because because that's true to you. Mm. What does being a young widow mean to you? Oh, it means so much strength. Not that older widows don't have strength, but we just have different hurdles. And I think it means having your heart open for what your life will now hold. Mm, I like that. Define mom. Mom. (laughs) (laughs) It is an honor that I have in my entire being. And it is something I feel on a spiritual level and it is exhausting and it is so tiring and it is such a privilege. And the fact that I get to raise these four human beings and try to teach them to be a good adult human beings is just, um, it's an honor and a privilege that I will have for my entire life. Okay. This question is going to be interesting. So before Tim got diagnosed, 
your favorite food pre-diagnosis and your favorite food post his passing? Oh gosh. Pre-diagnosis, pasta, any kind of pasta. Okay. <laughs> post, um, so, still pasta, but I order a lot of cheesecake right now. <laughs> I don't know why, is- but she- <laughs> coming to come for food. <laughs> Comfort food, people. This is what we're leaning towards. <laughs> Comfort food. It does change and it helps so much. I cannot tell you how much chocolate I've eaten in the last two years. Up here in Western New York, we're known for sponge candy, okay, which is like a chocolate covered sponge candy. I will send you some. Yeah. It is amazing. Ugh. And with those Cadbury eggs, like the, you're like, I can't eat the whole bag. But then I come home and I dump it into a cute little Easter bowl. And before I know it, I've like eaten the whole bowl. And I'm like, that was one bag that I just <laughs> ate over the course of the entire day. So I'm like, so some days I'm like, yep, this is happening. This is happening. Yeah, this is my Friday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last two questions. Mm-hmm. Hardest moment during this grief journey? Oh my gosh. Oh, that's hard to say the hardest I don't have a specific moment, but like a series of moments is when I tr- I'm trying to still be like the fun mom. But right now my kids are just so young. So for example, like we went, I took my kids to Disneyland last summer. I was like, it was a month after Tim died. I was like, we got to have some cheer in our lives. And it was so hard. I took my parents with me to help because my kids at the time were 11, 7, 3 and a year and a half. Now they're 12, 7, 3 and 2. They're babies. They're so young. My 12-year-old cognitively is like two or three. And so sometimes it's just so hard when I'm like trying to have these fun like family memories. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is it's just impossible for me to do it right now at their age by myself. Right. So those are moments where I feel a lot of grief because I'm like, you should be here. Yeah. So let's transition to best moment or moments during this grief journey. Oh my gosh, I'm probably going to say the same thing. <laughs> I think some of the best <laughs> the times that I have still tried and I've been like, I did that. We went and bought our Christmas tree and I easily could have invited my parents and they would have absolutely come hands down. But I loaded the kids in the car and we went down there and the guy there, we picked out a Christmas tree and the guy helped me get it into my car, into our truck. And I brought it home and my seven-year-old helped me carry it inside and and we got it into the stand And we decorated that thing. And at the end of the night, I was like, I did that. I just did that. You know, so it is those moments where I'm where I try it and I do it and I or I try it and it still fails. But I'm like, you know what? We did that and we had good family memories. Another thing is um, just finding out how strong I am. I think that's the best figuring out who I am. It's amazing when push comes to shove, uh, what being in this human experience can teach us. And I, I think that the inner strength and resiliency that each of us has is much more than, than we believe we have capable of. 100%. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you'll find out about yourself. Yep. Well, Amber, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your story and, and telling us a little bit about your life and sharing this, this grief journey that you're on, but also just the wonderfulness that was Tim. I think that so many people you know, we get to open the door and invite him into their space and into their lives. And now so many people are just going to be, they'll have Tim on their minds and they'll be thinking about him and that energy will just kind of carry through. So I really appreciate having you on and, and sharing your story with all of us. I think it'll be great for the listeners and hopefully it'll help other people that are out there. Oh, I hope so. And thank you so much for having me. This has truly been such a joy this morning. Thank you so much. And with that, everybody, we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by UB Neurosurgery. Learn more at ubns.com. I talked at the top of the hour about the importance of emotional and mental wellness. Our discussion with our guest Amber today highlights that and the importance of taking care of ourselves, especially during times of grief, extreme tragedy, or challenges in our life. Emotional health can mean so many different things to so many different people, but the common factor, no matter how we handle our emotional health, are the benefits that it gives our physical health. What do I mean by that? Taking care of our emotional health, tapping into our mental wellness, checking in with ourselves, can actually increase happiness 
it can lower levels of stress, and it allows us to better take care of ourselves. There are many different ways that we can increase our emotional wellness. Things that we can do to decrease stress and to better handle the challenges that we face in life. Now I'm going to talk about many different things over the course of the next few episodes, but today I want to focus on how to find healthy ways to handle stress itself, especially during times of challenges or sudden changes in our life. Learning how to respond to stress constructively, it can actually open us up to new opportunities, possibilities, and even help us find answers to some of the things that we might be struggling with. It's easy to want to stay inside our comfort zone and not try something new or different, but emotional wellness is so vital and so important to our physical health and to our everyday well-being that it's worth going outside our comfort zone. Things like walking, any form of exercise, whether it's yoga, Pilates, cycling, martial arts, any form of physical exercise that increases our adrenaline and increases our endorphins. It gets the heart pumping, it gets the blood flowing, and that actually reduces inflammation and it actually helps reduce the fight or flight that we tend to face when we're in an emotional stressful situation. Getting a pet. We all know that pet therapy can actually reduce stress fairly immediately. It also pushes us to focus on something else, to get up, to get out, to get active. I know for me and for many others that I've met on this journey, whether widow or widower, when you lose your significant other and you don't have children, it can be very easy to want to stay inside the house, to not move, to not get up, to not do anything. And when you don't have a motivation to take care of something else, you can get stuck inside your own shell. Having a pet actually forces you to think about somebody else, take care of somebody else. And that is more important than people realize. Whether it's a guinea pig or a bunny or a cat or a dog, even if you can volunteer at a stable or a ranch and get involved with equine therapy, all of these have benefits to our emotional wellness and can actually help balance our thinking. You can get involved in other things like tapping into a passion, art, dance, any form of writing or journaling, photography, learning a new sport, learning a new language, taking up French or sign language, anything artistic or creative that allows you to tap into a passion that you've always had. Get involved in meditation. Studies show that just five minutes of deep breathing, meditative breathing each day can actually lower cholesterol. It can actually smooth out the rhythms of our heart. It reduces stress and it brings us mental clarity. Just five minutes of meditation every day. And it's okay to ask for help. If you need to say I'm struggling, that's okay. There are so many places that offer assistance, whether it's online, whether it's virtually, there are an abundance of counselors out there that are just waiting to help. You can also call the SAMHSA hotline. It is a mental health hotline that is always available to those if you need someone to talk to. The phone number is 1-800-662-HELP. There is something for everybody, and there is always somewhere you can go. This is all part of living a balanced life. These things are easy things that you can start implementing now to help create more emotional wellness for yourself. We'll be learning and talking about this more in the next couple of episodes. Until then, thank you so much for being with us. May grace, guidance, and gratitude 
follow you on your journey. Until next time, this is the Game Anglio podcast. You've been listening to the Game Anglio podcast, the podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories of those walking the journey of brain cancers, such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. Like what you hear? Share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast, Facebook at Game on Glio, or visit our website or YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.